Janice told her story this way. A number of years earlier, she had fallen into a defeating depression. No amount of work or therapy relieved the bleakness of her days. Slipping into a spiraling pit and feeling she was pulling her family into it after her, she thought suicide would be her escape. Failing in the first attempt, she tried again, only to be saved once more. She was hospitalized. She had been a competent teacher and mother, but now unable or unwilling or She wasn't quite sure how to describe it, except she was utterly powerless over the enveloping gloom. Until the visitation, that is. As she described it, a vision of a celestial being. An angel, she thought. And she was healed. From the moment of that vision, the crushing hopelessness lifted and it had not returned now many years later. She had no personal or cultural context for understanding what had happened to her, but it did awaken her faith. It changed her life. I was a minister. She hoped I would receive her story at face value. She hoped there would be understanding and acceptance. She was a credible, thoughtful 60-year-old when she spoke to me some years ago now, sharing a very important part of her life story. Well, actually, I think she would say it was maybe the most important part of her life story, a transforming moment that brought life from incipient death. She said she didn't tell most people about this for fear of rejection. Honestly, I felt privileged to receive it. A healing angel, or perhaps a symbolic vision of a psychological breakthrough, or both? Who knows? Who knows? I'm guessing I hear more edgy stories like this than most people, and often, you know, there's little evidence to suggest anything but indigestion caused a restless night, or maybe too much alcohol. But, but I had enough experience to respect Janice's understanding of these events. The outcome was clear. What was unclear was how that outcome came about. She was gifted with hope and faith. She was a woman who was stalked by death and then surprised by joy. How do we explain something like that? How do we make sense of spiritual events that defy rational description, that don't conform to standard forms? But you know, as it's reported in Acts, On the day of Pentecost, God's Spirit filled the early disciples who were gathered in Jerusalem, and 21st century people are hard-pressed to make 
logical sense of this story. It is a wild story. Peter quoted the prophet Joel. God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, and your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. As the story is told, the disciples were, in fact, accused of having drunk too much wine. But something more important and more interesting than a morning hangover described their condition. Something brought life where there had been death. I mean, you remember this whole story, right? You remember what happened, the plot line, just 50 days earlier, the betrayals, the humiliation, the fear and cowardice leading to crucifixion? Out of this death state, with a handful of fisher folk, a brand new thing was launched into the world. The proof of it resides in the outcome of more than two billion people who now claim some relation to these first recipients of God's holy fire. People like Janice and many of us gathered here. Here we are. This can seem a very tenuous thread, I suppose, stretching back 2,000 years. On the other hand, <laughs> as I said, here we are. There is no denying that. Despite our doubts and reservations, here sits this glorious geode of a space dedicated to telling the story of astonishing grace in what realtors tell me is one of the most valuable undeveloped pieces of real estate in the world. <laughs> I mean, what's up with that? Remember in the story how the spirit wind caused people from all over the known world to hear and receive the good news of God's gracious hospitality. That text, readers hate because of all those places the people come from. Juliana knocks it out of the park, doesn't she? But you know, friends, if you pay attention over, say, a month's worth of services here at Christ Church, you'll see people from all over the world. There's a very good chance you might meet someone with roots in Benin, Ghana, Romania, Korea, Japan, Canada, Mexico, Sierra Leone, Zimbabwe, Germany, England, Liberia, Nigeria, Sri Lanka, India, Pakistan, Brazil, Philippines, Panama, Jamaica, and that's just a partial list of the people who come to Christ Church. Too many countries to name, not to mention every corner of our nation. Someone at the early service said, you forgot to say Texas. <laughs> it's awesome, really. <laughs> Communion stewards at, at this service often tell me, after the service, how powerful it is to serve such an incredible array of people. Because that's when you see them, when they come up one by one to get a bread and wine. 
all fed the same spiritual food. And you know, friends, it flies in the face of what is otherwise experienced beyond these walls. Is that not the case in today's world, in our land today? When you stop to think about it, there really is no accounting for this other than an inbreaking spirit that blows open locked minds and ignites frozen hearts. I don't know of another explanation, especially given current conditions out there. You know, we're not terribly large in numbers, but we are a true Pentecost family, reflective of the international unity gifted on that day 2,000 years ago. The only difference between them and us is that we've tamed the spirit a bit. I mean, when was the last time you were accused of being drunk because you were full to overflowing with the spirit of life? I'm thinking we could benefit from such an accusation every now and then. It's no small miracle that in this place wildly diverse people gather together to give thanks and praise to their God who is far larger than any tribal identity. A God who will not be constrained by our attempts at taming, caging, and chaining him. The church needs to confess that that's what it has often done over the years and centuries. They've made God small crammed into their own little cubicle. God is wanting to blow open the doors. Extending hospitality everywhere. And thankfully, the spirit of life breaks in over and over and over again. That's why we're here. That's what Janice discovered. And I've discovered it too in my own way. That's why I'm here in this odd getup. I can't tell you how many others have told me their own idiosyncratic versions of the same story. No two persons ever have the same spirit tale to tell. God seems to speak in every language there is. And I'm thinking there are as many spirit languages as there are people in the world. The trick is in the hearing. Then if we hear, when we hear, when we really hear, we become part of the message. We become bearers of the same spirit of life. Some of you will remember Becca Stevens, a friend of Christ Church. She's been here several, on several occasions over the years of my time here. I met her and fell in love with her immediately. She is the founder of Magdalene, which is a two-year residential program for women with a criminal history of prostitution and drug abuse located in Nashville, Tennessee. She published a collection of meditations entitled Sanctuary, Short Meditations. And one of them, I was flipping through her book this week, and one of them speaks, I think, of how broadly and powerfully the spirit wind blows. She writes, I was standing in a small office with Clemmie after her son's funeral. 
The office was lit by a fluorescent bulb that made the place look sallow and closed in. There were two chairs and a laminated desk that was peeling. The walls were a dingy off-white. The room reflected the mood of the day, sad and broken. I had known Clemmie for almost four years. She was a loving and compassionate mother. Her son, Rodriguez, was the victim of a senseless homicide in the middle of the night by someone he didn't even know. Rodriguez had been born when Clemmie was only 13 years old. Both of them had been in and out of the prison system. Mother and son had spoken at Magdalene's fundraiser the previous year to talk about finding strength together in their journey toward wholeness. Now, nine months later, Clemmie and I were standing in a borrowed office after burying her only child. We exchanged thoughts and feelings about the day. Clemmie said, I wish I could talk to the boy who shot my son. I want to hug him for a long time and tell him I forgive him. I know that he will probably spend the rest of his life in prison. But I want him to know that God has not abandoned him. Becca reflects, when you tell people that you would never kill somebody, they often ask, well, what if somebody killed your child? Clemmy answered the question as beautifully as I have ever heard. She had suffered more for her faith than even a martyr. She had suffered the death of her son and survived to love the enemy. I asked her if she would offer a prayer. And we knelt together in front of the desk in the sacred space that love had now created. Now, I don't know how to account for such a story other than Pentecost. On the one hand, there is very deep sadness. And on the other hand, though, you also hear the story of Pentecost, don't you? I mean, a story about how far and wide the spirit wind blows crossing boundaries we normally don't cross and touching lives we don't normally touch among people we might not otherwise know, meet, or care to know or meet. And it's a story about life in a place scarred by death. And friends, I tell you, that makes it a gospel story. Because that's what the gospel is, life in the midst of death. It's a story about grace and love, whereby all rights there shouldn't be any. How do you account for that? How and when did Clemmy ever hear God's voice?
And how did it give birth to such a forgiving heart? It is a mystery or a miracle. I don't know. But I imagine when Becca and Clemmy knelt in front of that desk, someone with the eyes to see would very likely have witnessed tongues of fire dancing on their heads. And I'm thinking that maybe, just maybe, if we tuned our eyesight just right, we might be able to see the same thing dancing around this room. And if you do see it, chances are better than even that a flame is dancing on your head as well. May it be so.